It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Unrivaled talk. Fast talk. Honest talk. Talk radio. The home of free speech. Kevin O'Sullivan. Hardworking, hard-edged, hard to beat. Talk radio. Let's broaden our minds. Access all arguments. Kevin O'Sullivan. On DAB Plus, on the app, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Oh my God, it's not him, it's me. Uh, yeah, Mike Graham is uh, taking a well-deserved week off. Uh, he does have a family, you know, he does have things to do, people to see. Even Mike needs the odd uh, day off. So uh, he's taking the week off uh, and you have to put up with me for the next five days. I hope it's not too traumatic for you. Uh, today we've got a lot coming up. This is, of course, not the independent Republican Mike Graham. It is the dependent vassal state of Kevin O'Sullivan. I know my place. I've just got the keys to the independent republic. Uh, and I hope that I look after it well. And I do, Mr. Graham, proud. Uh, looking forward to getting Mike back. Uh, all right, Mike, I hope you're watching. Right, so first of all, uh, Russell Brand, of course, will be vi- revisiting that story throughout the next hour. Of course, Mr. Brand has questions to answer. Looks as if the police are closing in on... Uh, announcing a full-scale investigation. They've already spoken to the Sunday Times, the Times and the Dispatches, and they want to speak to his four alleged victims who are named in these stories across the weekend. Uh, And, of course, this is about Russell Brand. But this is also, I think, much more. It's about the television industry. How many more? Now, by the way, I'm stressing he's denying all allegations against him. But how many more of these scandals are we going to have to put up with? I mean, we go back to Jimmy Savile, TV industry, BBC covered up for him before we learnt the enormity of his crimes. Then, uh, you know, with Hugh Edwards, we have Philip Schofield, now this. Uh, I'll tell you what's on trial. Not so much Russell Brand. It is the television industry. uh, And there are a lot of television executives who were presiding over these horrible, rancid programmes like Big Brother uh, back in the noughties who are having a very uncomfortable time right now. Um, Well, they should be because uh, they turned uh, their backs on what was going on, turned a blind eye to it. uh, And uh, this may be a kind of Me Too moment in the history of the television industry. We'll be coming back to that story throughout uh, the next three hours. Also, the NHS going to spend millions more pounds on 244 diversity and inclusivity jobs. How about spending millions more pounds on a few doctors and a few nurses, giving them a pay rise? It's just outrageous. Mismanagement, financial mismanagement on an epic scale. 
and they will not be told. Uh, we need to uh, talk about this. Also, Lucy Letby, uh, the angel of death, the killer of seven babies, may have killed three more. Looks like an investigation will be opened up into uh, her activities that went beyond what she was convicted of. And also, of course, she is appealing. She's appealing against her, life her full life sentence. Uh, good luck with that, Lucy. Uh, Peter Hitchens will be in at 11 o'clock to talk about uh, Ukraine and uh, all the issues in his columnist and in his column on the, in the Mail on Sunday. I'll ask him what he thinks about the Russell, Russell Brand situation. Uh, also, the Conservatives are thinking of scrapping the gas boiler ban, which is interesting. Uh, they're beginning to realise that policies, energy policies that make you colder and poorer, just might not be all that popular. Just fancy that. Uh, so uh, we'll be uh, talking about that. Plus, the fact they're all flying to New York this week. Uh, what's his name? Uh, um, the Khan, uh, the uh, uh, London mayor is already there, Mayor Khan. Uh, talking about the climate, he's flown over on a climate-busting jet. Later on in the week, uh, Prince William will be there. So, green-tastic times in New York. They are all talking about saving the planet, having flo flown over the Atlantic uh, to not save the planet. So, hypocrisy is the name of the game. Uh, royal update with Charlie Ray. Uh, Prince of Wales, uh, William, is seeking a chief executive to run his affairs. Wants to get more business-like uh, and the latest on the migrant strike. So, all that and so much more don't go anywhere stick with me right here right now at the home of free speech and common sense talk tv let's spend monday morning together and right off the bat let's go over to my first guest to talk about some of the biggest stories of the day with social policy analyst and writer uh, dr rakib esan uh, hello rakib Morning, Kevin. How are you? I'm very, very well. Uh, I don't expect you to be an expert on the television industry, uh, but uh, Russell Brand obviously dominating all the headlines. And I think what we're talking about, bearing in mind that he denies all wrongdoing, said all the sex he ever mm. had was consensual. But we're talking about a sort of culture that certainly existed in the television industry in this country back in the noughties. Uh, where it's almost a case of goodness knows anything goes. Now, I've been saying all day, you know, people go, oh, did Russell Brand, did he behave terribly while he was hosting Big Brother's Big Mouse Mouth? Well, he says he didn't. He says uh, that everything he did was perfectly legal. Uh, but think about this, Rakib. Think about the programme, which they're bringing back, of course. This is what Big Brother was then. I know about this. I covered it intricately. I went to the Big Brother house many times. I appeared on those programmes. Uh, what that programme was, was take uh, reasonably vulnerable, shall we say not toweringly intellectual working class kids, get them drunk, watch them misbehave, laugh at them, and hopefully along the way they'll have sex. Now, with a culture like that, are you that surprised that at least one of the presenters uh, stands accused of not behaving particularly well? I'm, I'm not surprised, Kevin, and I think your description of Big Brother there, um, that description could be applied to a number of programmes. Um, so, and, and I think that is a very serious problem. I think that in terms of the TV industry, I think more broadly, um, a number of our national broadcasters have a lot to answer for, Kevin. Uh, it, it seems to me there's scandal after scandal um, of a very similar nature. Now, of course, as you say, Russell Brand denies all of these um, gravely serious allegations. 
but it does seem like, according to this uh, journalistic investigation, um, th there are a number of individuals who very much suggest that his immoral behaviour was very much a open secret, mm -hmm. that it was very well known uh, within the television industry. And I think that when you uh, look at other scandals involving the likes of Hugh Edwards and Peter Schofield... Philip Schofield. Sorry, Philip Schofield. Um, there'll be many people who may well suggest that there's a really toxic culture um, within uh, television, which really needs to be addressed. And there's been a fundamental lack of leadership, um, especially when it comes to our national broadcasters, mainstream channels, in terms of trying to root out that behaviour. Uh, and uh, what uh, they stand accused of, the executives who were running the independent production companies, Big Brother was made by a mm. company called Endemol, which was Endemol. subsequently bought by someone else. Uh, what they stand accused of, and the, and the terrestrial executives at the BBC and Channel 4, what they stand accused of is turning a blind eye uh, to not just Russell Brand's activities, but uh, uh, a lot of other stars. And what this is, in my view, Raki, the television industry has always suffered it, uh, from this, is an over-veneration of the people who present these shows. And these people are treated like demigods and allowed to do essentially what they want. And one of the most disturbing allegations in this story from, came from people who used to work on programmes that he hosted. They were, you know, researchers and producers. And they said they were basically, they allege they were basically reduced to the level of pimps, having to go through the studio audience and pick out the good-looking girls mm. so Russell uh, could uh, commune with them later. Uh, something very sick about the television industry. And I, I said earlier, think about some of the programmes they're, they're putting on now. They're still doing it. These, a lot of these reality shows are rancid and sick at heart. So you're married at first sight. Two people brought together, married, and guess what? Always ends up in uh, fisticuffs almost. The marriages that last about three weeks. Just for television entertainment, we attack the sanctity of marriage. Uh, and don't forget, there's also, among many other, there's Naked Attraction, uh, where people, uh, instead of uh, meeting and having a romance and then taking their clothes off, take their clothes off first and see how it works the other way around. And we can see them all in the nude on Channel 4. These programmes are just sort of horrible no absolutely uh the reality is is that much of the entertainment industry it has a great deal of moral degeneracy at the heart of it and i think you made a really good point earlier kevin that many of these programs they tend to um bring in individuals who are very clearly vulnerable yeah. um some i suspect would have had mental health issues before entering those programs before their involvement uh, and and to expose them in such a way in order to increase viewership um in more recent times to increase clicks on social yeah. media I find it sickening, Kevin, if truth be told. Yeah, and uh, just to, before we move on, uh, in case you're in any doubt, I think it was Series 5, I remember, it, uh, there was a thing called Fight Night where the producers succeeded in working the contestants, the housemates, up into such a froth of fury and anger mm. that they all started fighting and the police had to be called. I mean... This shouldn't be happening on a television programme. And what did Channel 4 do about it? Nothing. They just carried on and made it worse. Uh, let's move on, though. Uh, let's talk about... Uh, actually, uh, the, uh, Keir Starmer. Where do you think, uh, Rakib, he gets the idea that what the British people want 
is closer links with Europe. He's off to see Macron yesterday, uh, tomorrow, uh, to get closer ties with France. He went to The Hague last week with Yvette Cooper uh, to make some ridiculous speech that everybody thought was pathetic about the migrant crisis, uh, including begging the EU to do a deal with us uh, so we can take some of their migrants. Uh, uh, I mean... Why do you think Starmer thinks that the people of Britain want closer ties with the EU? Well, I think that the real problem here is that Sir Keir Starmer continues to see Britain um, as an isolationist country, which is cut off from much of the rest of the international community, which firstly... It's not true, is it? not the case. It's not the truth. It's not true. For example, he signed the Trilateral Security Pact, AUKUS, um, involving Australia and the United States. It's been one of the leading allies of Ukraine in relation to the ongoing Russia-Ukraine conflict. And I think that when you look at the rehoming of refugees, it's done a great deal of good when it comes when it's come to the resettlement of Ukrainians and Hong Kongers. So the idea that Britain has cut itself off from the rest of the international community in the post-Brexit world is utter nonsense, Kevin. And I think that now, of course, you can have that debate where you want to have constructive relations with a number of EU member states. I do think that in terms of the illegal migration crisis, there's no harm with, for example, the National Crime Agency in the UK developing stronger intelligence sharing ties with its counterparts in France, Germany and Belgium. But there's also a debate to be had in terms of how do we build ties within the Commonwealth, for example, a voluntary association of nations, 56 countries in various regions of the world. He doesn't seem to be talking about that at all. He's pigeonholing himself in terms of talking about these strengthened links with the EU. When I think that actually what we need to talk about is having um, a constructive post-Brexit foreign policy, which involves strategically important members in the Commonwealth. Yeah, I'd like to say, I'd like, since, since uh, um, Kia seems to think we need a new deal, we've got to get a better deal, mm. I'd like to know what exactly is so bad about our current deal. Uh, because we're doing a hell of a lot better than Germany, arguably better than France, certainly better than Spain and Italy, and on and on it goes. So it looks to me as if Brexit hasn't been a bad thing for Britain. So quite why we want to get involved with that sclerotic, failing, dead pretty soon organisation, the EU, I don't know. But uh, let's uh, regroup after these messages. Rakib, I'm talking to Rakib Essen, social policy analyst and writer. I'm Kevin O'Sullivan. This is Talk TV, live from the Talk Radio studio. On your mobile, on your wavelength, talk radio and talk TV. A couple of things you might want to ring in about. First of all, the television industry. uh, They're talking about having a parliamentary inquiry into the industry, particularly back then when Russell Brandt is accused of uh, behaving in a nefarious and unacceptable manner. Others uh, also stand accused of similar behaviour. Do we need an inquiry to clean up the TV industry. And I suppose, do we need to clean up the TV industry? I mean, it still seems to be going on. We just like stagger from one scandal to the next, from, uh, you know, Savile to uh, Philip Schofield to uh, Hugh Edwards. And now we've got Russell Brand. Uh, You know, it's getting stupid, isn't it? It's getting ridiculous that this industry seems to have been for a long time a law unto itself. As long as they're getting good telly, no morality required. Uh, All the people say they worked in that industry uh, when they were fairly low down, said they were treated like mud. Uh, You know, no respect to any of their complaints and they were expected to put up with it all. 
Uh, and contestants say they were really treated very badly. So 03444991000. And do you uh, agree with Keir Starmer that it's time for us to forge much closer ties with the EU, to do deals with France and Brussels and The Hague? Uh, do you think that's what we want? Do you want that? Do you want that? Is that what you voted for in 2016? Closer ties with Europe? Do you fancy that? Keir Starmer's European future. I mean, we might, uh, I bet we rejoin in the end, but uh, we're going to rejoin in all but name as soon as he's Prime Minister. Do you fancy that? 03444991000. Now, uh, let's go back to uh, my first guest, social policy analyst and writer, Rakib Eason. Uh, Rakib, I want to ask you uh, about the NHS. Uh, it's an incorrigible organisation that we keep begging it to stop wasting money. We give it the best part of £200 billion a year and it doesn't seem to spend an awful that lot of that on doctors, nurses, medical services. Uh, now, after s lots and lots of outcries in the past when they announced, oh, we're hiring 20 diversity officers and 30 inclusivity officers, everybody goes crazy. So what are you doing? We don't need this. We need doctors. We need nurses. Guess what? They've announced uh, uh, 244 diversity and inclusivity jobs. That's going to get into tens of millions of pounds. What can be done to persuade the people inside this weird cult-like organisation that we need it to spend its money properly, not on diversity, not on pamphlets that ban the use of the word mother, that don't use the word woman, etc., etc. Can we get some common sense into our health service, do you think? Well, firstly, I'd make the point that we have a problem where we have many elements um, of our mainstream media. They indulge in the sanctification of the National Health Service, uh, Kevin. Mm. And, and I think that more generally, um, there's a growing <coughs> public dissatisfaction with the NHS, um, especially in terms of its, uh, in my view, dropping standards in terms of performance. Um, but then you also have scandals such as the such as the case of Lucy Letby, and I, I think that what we're really seeing is that there's, there's a growing lack of trust in the NHS in terms of performing the bread and butter, mm. uh, which is ultimately prioritising patient safety. So I would have thought that along with investing in the training of medical professionals and other frontline workers such as nurses, I find it amazing that the this level of funding would be allocated for diversity and inclusion professionals. And I'd make this point, Kevin, that I, I, in, in the past, I've seen blogs, for example, being published on the NHS website, educating people, supposedly educating people on white privilege. Yeah. And I think it's absolutely remarkable because if, if you're fairly well travelled within England, if you want to see where the NHS is truly crumbling, it's in predominantly white British, left behind working class areas, especially in parts of northern England. It's insane. Uh, and uh, you might argue, uh, you know, what has white privilege got to do with the NHS? You're supposed to be uh, receiving patients who are sick and curing them, maybe through surgery, maybe through a spell in the hospital, maybe through treatment. That's what that's your job. End of. End of. Try to prevent deaths and treat patients who are sick. Uh, instead, they've taken on all these other mantles. Oh, yeah, let's do diversity. Let's do this. Uh, and uh, there are 3,500 people 
in the NHS who earn more than £100,000 a year, all of whom are middle managers. They're not doctors, they're not nurses, they're not ambulance drivers. They are middle managers at practically achieving the square root of sod all. Uh, and that is an enormous amount of money. The NHS doesn't need a single penny more. It needs to learn to spend the money it already gets, the vast amount of money it already gets, sensibly, as opposed to what it's doing now, is spending it insanely like a drunken sailor on uh, side issues that don't matter, like diversity. No, absolutely. And I think that when it comes to that middle level management that you're referring to, Kevin, mm. I have to question how uh, useful their contributions are um, in terms of trying to foster a more efficient and productive national health service. I think the bigger problem really is that along with that waste of money, um, and I think that there's many resources within the <coughs> NHS which are not used efficiently. There's a cultural problem where you have far too many managers and so-called leadership within the NHS. They're more interested in protecting personal and organisational reputations over patient safety. And I think that's a very serious problem. So along with that problem with the misallocation of resources, where there's far too many middle level managers who, in my view, don't really have the NHS best interests at heart. I think that we have a very serious cultural problem where people are prioritising reputations at the expense of patient safety, including the most vulnerable in our society. I heard a doctor the other day saying uh, that actually some of this uh, excessive mad wokery in the NHS goes mm. against patient safety. He said, for example, doctors are advised don't ask people their antecedents, you know, where are your parents from, where do you hail from, uh, don't ask them their gender and so on and so forth. And this doctor was saying, look, there are, there are quite a few diseases and conditions that are specifically linked to areas. You know, there's a Mediterranean syndrome. So if your parents came from Italy and you live in London, the chances are you could have it. So these questions, uh, these are uh, elements that are banned by the NHS. Uh, the doctors say, well, we need to ask people where they're from. Mm. We need to ask them for their, their genders uh, because uh, that's how you treat patients. It's so insane. One last point. We like to finish on a bit of comedy, uh, Rakib. Uh, now, Liz Truss is currently making a speech in which she is uh, telling everybody that she could have saved 35 billion quid. Rishi Sunak spent much more than she would have done and uh, that she should still be in charge because her policies were wonderful uh she's actually making this speech i'm looking at her now standing there i mean you know i've got nothing against liz trust and uh, i'm sure she's not insane uh but she looks like an absolute mad woman i mean give it up give it up you were the most disastrous prime minister ever your little reign of terror uh, almost destroyed this country in 45 days flat we don't want your opinions anymore am i right no, I, I have a lot of sympathy with your view, Kevin, um, if truth be told. Uh, when, when I look upon her very brief stint as our Prime Minister, it was deeply chaotic. And in my view, it was hugely irresponsible. What she ultimately did was treat her own, it, it, she treated her own country some kind of um, laboratory for her yes. wild neoliberal experiment. And it didn't go quite according to plan. Um, in, in fact, uh, you, you, we saw the, the pound uh, virtually tanked 
um, during her time as prime minister. And, and I was very worried by some of her policies. For example, she was looking to engineer very quick economic growth by further liberalising our immigration system. And I think that goes against the very essence of what Brexit should be about, which should be having an indu active industrial policy, investing in your own domestic workers in terms of improving educational standards, skills, providing high quality internship, internship, uh, internships, apprenticeships in working class communities, as opposed to constantly relying on immigration. And I'll put, it's, a, it's a myth as well, Kevin, if truth be told, for some time we've been a high immigration low growth economy. So I think that much of her thinking was reckless and it wasn't rooted in reality. It certainly was. I liked a lot of her ideas uh, in theory, but they were the kind mm. of ideas you cannot impose upon a country overnight and expect mm. incredible results. Some of her policies in about two years, if they were handled correctly uh, and uh, with a, a sense of caution, they might have been uh, very beneficial. But I'm afraid that her and Quasi, who thought you could do it in 10 minutes flat, I mean, mm. they tanked the economy. And it's just sort of, I feel sorry for her. I mean, give it up, Liz. Don't make speeches. Go back to being the MP for East Norfolk or wherever it is and uh, keep your strap shut. That's, a, that's my advice. Uh, Rakib, fantastic to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time. That was a social policy analyst and writer, Rakib Aysen. When we come back, uh, we're going back to the Russell Brand story. The entertainment industry has questions to answer. And where are the police at? Uh, with their nascent investigation. They're asking questions. They're not quite announcing an official investigation. I suspect they will have too soon. So all of that next. I'm Kevin O'Sullivan. This is Talk TV live from the Talk Radio studios. The home of common sense. Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back uh, in a little while. Lucy Letby. Uh, she's actually launching an appeal against her full life sentence for killing seven babies the angel of death, the nurse from hell. Uh, she is uh, appealing against that. Uh, I think probably at the root of that is she's probably trying to overturn the full life sentence element. Do you remember Wayne Cousins tried to do that after murdering Sarah Everard? He didn't succeed. Uh, it's not for me to prejudge legal outlooks, but um, I'd say Lucy's on a bit of an uphill uh, mountain to climb here. Uh, and uh, we'll be looking at that story in just a little while. But... Uh, let's uh, go back to Russell Brand. Uh, the in uh, entertainment industry has serious questions to answer. The BBC and Channel 4, which of course employed him back in the early noughties, have launched uh, major investigations into what was going on during those days. He denies all allegations. But yesterday uh, and over the weekend on dispatches on Channel 4 and in the Times and the Sunday Times, they all jointly investigated what uh, Brown was allegedly up to in those days. And uh, as a result, BBC and Channel 4 are seriously investigating themselves. Uh, the police look set to jump in fairly soon. They've already spoken to the Times, Sunday Times and dispatches. They want to speak to the four women who say he sexually assaulted and raped them. Uh, uh, which he denies, as I say, and uh, there are suggestions that his lewd behaviour, uh, his promiscuous behaviour, he's not denying he was promiscuous. Uh, he was having a lot of sex uh, during those days, uh, at one point allegedly using a BBC car 
to pick up his then 16-year-old girlfriend from school. Uh, so a lot of questions to be asked uh, and uh, how responsible for all of this, for this kind of behaviour, was the television industry itself. Uh, let's talk to media professor and consultant Akhil Ahmed. Uh, good morning, Akhil. Morning. Uh, what's your take on this? Uh, I mean, I, I was covering the TV scene back in those days. Used to write a lot about uh, Big Brother. It was very lucrative in terms mm. of material to write about. But uh, I keep making the point, uh, if people like Brand, you know, the big luminaries of reality TV back in its dawning age in the early uh, 19, in the noughties, uh, you know, think about what that program was. I keep saying that, you know, this was the format. It was take uh, working class kids who are not, shall we say, towering intellectuals, feed them with a load of drink, laugh at them when they misbehave, and hopefully they'll have sex along the way. Now, if that's your format, uh, it seems to me hardly surprising that the people who presented those shows might have been not uh, immaculately behaved. Oh, well, <laughs> I was actually at Channel 4 at the time, uh, Kevin, at that, that period you're talking about. Oh, it's about, your fault, and, uh, is it? <laughs> yeah, it's all my fault. No, no, no. I was at Channel 4 in another completely different world to Big Brother. I have to say, in the early days, it probably wasn't as bad as what you... I think it became that over the... Few, you're over, right, you're over, right, you're over, right. It started 2020, it right at the outset. Yeah, sorry, it changed. 2000. It? Yeah. Within about three yeah. or four years, yeah. uh, it became it a, a yeah. very rancid programme. By chat by it series changed, series five, they had to call yeah. the police in because uh, all the contestants yeah, had I a massive remember, fight. I, I, fight I, remember, I remember going into I remember going into work the next day, and it was um, yeah, it was a yeah. take. It was a day. It was a it was a take that we were all watching. I was actually there when we, when Channel Four decided to pull the plug on um, on Big Brother because it was seen as being toxic to the brand of Channel Four, and I think that's that's you. I think you've summed it up perfectly in a sense. It was a period in time, wasn't it? Yes. And actually, you know, it's and it's actually. A, Probably, you know, there are, there, are other, there are other questions we can talk about with regards to the television industry, about whether or not, you know, with, with so many people on freelance contracts and there not being a lot of work right now, would people be able to whistleblow and would they put up with some of this behaviour now? Simply be not because the rules are any less, the rules are a lot stricter now on the kind of behaviour that, he, that it, what he's alleged to have got up to. But with regards to people's security, job security, they may feel a bit more worried. I think going back in time, when you think about the cash cow that things like Big Brother were, and and obviously he was on the offshoot of Big Brother there. I think E4, uh, Big Brother, E4 Forum, or Little Big Brother's Little Brother, all those kind of things. These were huge cash cows. I mean, they paid for the programs I made. Let's be honest with you. The kind of programs that I made, they didn't do, do too bad, but advertisers weren't falling over themselves yeah. to advertise to an older demographic. So we needed Big Brother and all those programs. So it, you can understand the kind of like, not to serious allegations that we've we've come across, but to some of the kind of I don't know. Oh, that's Russell kind of behaviour. Yes, you can probably understand why people may have put up with it. I'm uh, not saying they did, but you can understand it. Yeah, I mean, I, th I agree with you. He, he very much a creature of those uh, different uh, times, uh, but yeah. that doesn't mean to say that, with the benefit of hindsight, we don't have to have a look at those times. Yeah, and you know what I'm talking about. You've worked in the television industry. I've had a lot to do with. It. I've worked in it. I've covered it. And I know what this is about. Uh, in those days, uh, possibly to an extent still today, the stars of the show, the hosts, are what they call the talent. 
It's not that, you know, the talent. You go to the BBC and you're talking to a microphone, you're the talent. Uh, it, they were over-venerated. They were venerated and they were allowed to get away with just about anything uh, they uh, wanted to do. And the executives just uh, turned a blind eye, you know, because it, they thought they were getting good telly out of this. There was something going on in that respect, wasn't there? No, I think there's a, you're right. There's a culture thing, isn't there? Um, uh, you know, where people will put up with things if they think that actually it's going to get them a result. Um, and I think, you know, I think in the documentary, if you watch it, I mean, it's a very good programme, by the way. I think we've lost, I think the, some of us have forgotten all about how you do proper journalism and the newspapers and the TV have, have done some proper journalism there. They sure have, I agree. Great by, rather than trial by social media. Yeah. Rather than trial by social media. And of course, it's all allegations, so I'll just say that. But it was a good programme. And in it, Lorraine Hegarty, one of my old bosses at BBC One, yeah. she summed it up perfectly, which was... Uh, he, you know, this wasn't a one-off. This happened on more than one occasion, and he seemed to be promoted up. Mm. And at what point do you turn around and say, it, uh, enough is enough? I would probably argue that it did happen because he went off to Hollywood, didn't he? Uh, and it's not as if... And I, I don't know what happened in his life or in his career, but he, he he didn't have his own TV shows. He's not in. He's not knocking out those, you know, yeah. films that he was knocking out at that point. So at some point, you would imagine a lot of people did eventually say... They got beyond that, oh, that's Russell, and went, mm, actually, do you know what? I'm not sure I want to be associated with this. And I think the atmosphere has changed. I think, you know, that kind of behaviour is a lot harder to pull off. I agree. You know? I agree. I totally but... think but, but I think there is a cultural problem, full stop, when somebody delivers that it becomes hard to knock them off their perch if they've done something wrong. And I know from my own experience, not in any way in the same you know severity as this but i remember once bringing something to the attention of somebody about i thought the behavior was unacceptable one of our talent and uh, just being told to man up yeah. quite frankly well a friend of mine uh, the... because that person was one to me you know a young, uh, young friend of mine at the bbc who went, went to hr to complain about a very senior figure there harassing him sexually uh was told well you could proceed with this uh, complaint if you like but uh, as to the effects that might have on your career prospect that's something for you to reflect upon that's what the system was don't complain about the stars because you'll end up in more trouble than them uh, a lot of questions to be asked we wait to see if the uh, police are going to turn this into an official investigation i think they'll probably have to uh, but uh, I think this is after Savile, after Schofield, after Edwards. I think this is just one other episode in television, recent television history that the, t the TV industry is basically going to have to sort of exercise, for, exercise from its dark and tortured soul. It needs to go into this. Uh, so uh, much still to come on this. Uh, good to talk to you, Akil. Thank you very much for your time, Akil Ahmed, their media professor, consultant. I uh, used to work on Channel 4, so we know what he's talking about. Well, we're going to talk about Lucy Letby, the angel of death, the nurse from hell next. Uh, she murdered seven babies. That's why she's doing a full life sentence. Uh, looks like she might have murdered three more. Meanwhile, she's appealing against her, her conviction. So lots to talk about, about Lucy next. I'm Kevin O'Sullivan. This is Talk TV. Live from the Talk Radio studios. Nationwide, by your side, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Uh, now, uh, let's talk about Lucy uh, Letby. Uh, it turns out she may have killed, according to one expert involved in the case, uh, that's a Dr. Dewey Evans, who gave experts uh, evidence against the neonatal nurse at her trial. 
Well, she was convicted of killing seven babies, trying to kill some more. But uh, Dr. Evans believes uh, she may well have killed three more and tried to murder another 15. Now, I know it sounds uh, onerous, but if that is the case, we need another trial. Uh, you know, I know she's got this full, but in order uh, to make life tolerable for the victims, for the relatives of the victims, you know, you can't just let this sort of thing drop. Uh, meanwhile, she is appealing against her sentence, full life sentence, uh, for those heinous crimes. Uh, now, uh, Dr. Evans, uh, the, his uh, extraordinary statements emerged, uh, funnily enough, on talk TV, uh, thanks to the excellent programme called Crime Suspects, which is hosted by my next guest. Uh, he is former Met Police detective Peter Blexley. Hello, Peter. Good morning. Now, uh, what Dewey Evans is saying, uh, and he was very steeped in the case, he's an expert uh, and he's looked into all aspects of it. Uh, he says uh, that, in a sense, the trial had shortcomings, uh, that it didn't actually cover the full extent of her crimes. He says uh, that he believes she killed three more babies and tried to murder another 15. Now, uh, you could say, as I just said, Peter, well, you know, she's already doing a full life sentence and, uh, you know, frankly, what's this going to make any difference? Well, it is going to make a difference for the people related to the babies she tried to murder. Uh, so uh, I suspect we might have to open up uh, more official investigations into Ms. Letby, don't you? Well, I had the great pleasure of meeting Dr. Evans at Talk <laughs> TV Towers just a couple of weeks ago, because, as you say, he was a guest on Crime Suspect, our show which is produced by Talk TV and hosted on YouTube. And he is a very articulate, learned man with decades of experience in paediatric care caring for the very poorest, uh, poorly young babies. Um, and yes, it is true that he said quite clearly that he believes there are other offences for which Lucy Letby may be responsible. But let me just rewind us to the trial, if we may, where she was found guilty. There were, in fact, six charges <coughs> on which the jury could not reach a majority decision. And the CPS are looking at asking permission for a retrial on those six charges. So it may be that there will be yet another trial. And of course, Dr Dewey Evans, quite rightly, has raised his concerns to Cheshire Police, who he has worked very closely with in the past. So this story, in terms of potential trials and other possible charges, I think still has a very long way to run. I agree with you. As I say, uh, a lot of people would say, well, what's the difference? She's never getting out. You know, she's already doing full life sentence. Uh, well, there is a difference. There is a difference if you're related to any of these babies that she tried to kill. Uh, and indeed, according to uh, doc Dr. Evans, uh, actually did kill three more, tried to murder uh, as many as another 15. So this does need to be looked into. Also with Lucy Letby, uh, Peter, uh, she's appealing uh, against her, not just her sentence, but against the verdict. Uh, you know, in, I think we were allowed to discuss this. I can't see why not. Uh, in your expert opinion, you watched, uh, followed that trial like the rest of us, and you must have been involved in many, many murder trials. Uh, does she have a hope in hell of succeeding with this attempt to, A, 
overturn the verdict. And B, I suspect at the heart of this, the root of this, is she wants to overturn the full life sentence element. So at least she'll have the chance of getting out for a few years towards the end of her life. Do you think she stands a, ch a snowball's chance in hell? She has to be granted permission to appeal and we should wait and see if that permission is forthcoming. But of course, what else is this wicked woman going to do with her sad, pathetic existence behind prison bars? Um, she has very little else to do with her life. So it absolutely stands to reason that unfortunately, and as unpalatable as it may seem to millions of people, the criminal justice system allows her the opportunity to apply for permission to appeal. If that ends up being the case, then we may have to face her standing trial once again, all the witnesses, all the trauma, all the pain and hurt that is placed upon the victims' families being revisited. But we are some way away from that. The judge, of course, as in most of these major trials, go to great, great lengths, and they are very learned people, to ensure that they cut off all the avenues for permission to appeal. They are very particular and careful with their words. They are extremely careful about how they direct juries on points of law and about their summing up. So let's hope that the judge was as professional as I'm sure he was in this case and that permission is not granted and we don't have to go through such an undignified procedure all over again. But as you're quite right, Peter, I mean, a lot of people say, oh, why are we wasting money on this? This is a scandal. I'm afraid, uh, you know, this is a civilised country and she does have legal rights and if she wants to appeal, I'm afraid she has to be allowed to, uh, unless, as you say, the judge finds reason to block that appeal. Uh, he'll certainly be looking at that, that's for damn sure. Great to talk to you, Peter, as always. Thank you very much for your time. That's Peter Blexley, former Met Police detective. Uh, let's uh, squeeze in a couple of calls before the 11 o'clock news. Let's go to Swansea and talk to Mark. Hello, Mark. Hi, how you doing? I'm good. Uh, you want to talk about Russell Brand? Yeah, just uh, just why now? This has all been known. Well, surely, you know I mean, everybody saw it that was there. Well, we know? didn't. I mean, we knew he was promiscuous. We knew exactly. he was a bedhopper. Exactly. He made no secret of that. Uh, now, we didn't know uh, the allegations that he went far beyond uh, being... Uh, promiscuous, that in fact uh, four sure. women say he raped or sexually assaulted them, and others uh, are coming again, forward now. Again, why now? I mean, he's all over the Biden uh, corruption and Ukraine link with a big following. Um, and all yeah, but yeah, but all then again, then Biden. again, you could argue that everything he says is a crock of nonsense. You could do apart from uh, apart the, from it's just conspiracy theory stuff. It's all right. It's the, entertaining. Hunter Biden, Hunter Biden laptop. Well, that's not a conspiracy stuff. theory. That's a fact. Exactly. Yeah, but he goes a long way. That if you're buying his uh, podcast, if you're buying his broadcast, fine, find them entertaining. But all he's doing is like Alex Scott in America, whip up conspiracy theories. You'll make a lot of money. That's what he's doing. Uh, Mark, good to talk to you. Uh, good question though, by Mark. Why now? Uh, after all these years, uh, that is an interesting element. Uh, let's talk to Chris in Abavagheni. Hello, uh, Chris. Hey, Mark, how are we? Uh, what would you like to say about brand? Uh, my main issue with the story that's come out yes. is 
obviously there is going to have to be a police investigation. Um, I think you're right. They haven't announced it officially yet, but I agree. I think Um, there will be. Yeah. My concern is we've seen this before. As I said to one of your colleagues earlier, you know, many years ago, the apart from Paul O'Grady himself, Michael Barrymore was the you know the TV's greatest entertainer, and his career went down the toilet because of accusations that weren't true. Are we going to see that again? Well, uh, well the question is: is are these accusations true? That's the point. But, uh, and certainly, uh, you know, you must pay respect to the dispatches, the Sunday Times, and the Times. They wouldn't put this stuff into the newspaper or onto television lightly. Uh, you know, they're just, oh, let's just chuck that out there, shall we? No, no, no. You've got to be very careful here. So uh, you have to accept this has been a long and careful investigation. And in that respect, Mr. Brand has serious questions to answer. I, I don't doubt that. Uh, like I said, everyone's got the right to make a complaint if a crime has been committed against them. Absolutely. Um, but as I said, if this turns out to be untrue, like we've seen before, are these people that have made the complaint, are they going to suffer like people do once they lose their career if accusations I, turn out to be false? I, I know uh, exactly where you're coming from, Chris. I, I too worry very greatly about uh, the era of the accusation. All you have to do is accuse someone of it. It doesn't have to be proved and you can ruin their life. Uh, but Russell Brand, I do think he has some questions to answer. Good to talk to you, Chris. Chris in Abbevagani there. I'm Kevin O'Sullivan. This is Talk TV Live for the Talk Radio Studios. Online on DAB Plus, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back. Uh, now uh, it is time uh, to return to the uh, Russell Brand issue. You know the story. Dispatches, the Sunday Times and the Times have for many months, I believe even years, first allegations surfaced around about 2019. This is a long and careful investigation, uh, the outcome of which uh, is so far is four women accusing Russell Brand of sexually assaulting and or raping them. Uh, the police have spoken to these newspapers and they've spoken to dispatches and uh, it looks as if they're about to launch a full-scale investigation. Uh, meanwhile, the television industry itself uh, has questions to answer amid multiple allegations that uh, executives during those days in the noughties, the days of the early Big Brother series that Russell Brand was on, Uh, that they turned a blind eye to the activities, the alleged activities of Russell Brand and other big stars. Uh, So lots and lots of questions are being asked. Uh, This has, uh, Russell Brand denies all the allegations against him, but this story, this saga has opened a can of worms which one senses will not be comfortable for the television industry itself and a lot of executives who worked back then. Uh, Let's uh, talk to entertainment journalist Caroline Frost. Good morning, Caroline. Good morning, Kevin. Uh, As I say, uh, we've got to be careful about Russell Brand. He's denying all these uh, very, very serious allegations of rape and sexual assault. But uh, generally speaking, uh, more than him, this is once again, once again, after Savile, after Schofield, after Hugh Edwards, the television industry is on trial. Now, uh, a lot of people who work in television tell me, oh, we've really cleaned up our acts now. Inherent in that is an admission that they needed to clean up their acts because around about the noughties, particularly surrounding programmes like Big Brother, it was a bit of a cesspit, wasn't it? I think it was uh, the Wild West, really, because you had a slight 
democratization of the entertainment industry. So for years, we'd had uh, the same old faces. If you think throughout the 80s and early 90s, the game show hosts, those um, those aging entertainers who come up through the variety hall. And it was a quite a small club and they were pretty much to quite otherwise boring, happily married men. So you didn't in have- the, In the golf club voting Tory. Uh, that's what comedians that, used to be, not anymore. All they did was um, play golf together. <laughs> that's what you used to see them. And I think it did change when um, Channel 4 sort of put money into their entertainment industry. The BBC got more, uh, started reaching out to younger, less family orientated, more youth orientated. And with that, you get the likes of uh, Russell Brand coming along as a very big personality. And he was like um, honey for the bees in terms of the audiences that he could draw. And so I think it was all change. And suddenly, I mean, he was he was basically paid to be chaotic, wasn't he? But uh, up to a point. And it was when he crossed. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The line a couple of times. I mean, um, these allegations notwithstanding, we have seen him have to walk away when he pushed the line creatively, turning up to work dressed as Osama bin Laden for MTV the day after 9-11, the Saxgate saga for the BBC back in 2008. So he has form when it comes to pushing it, delighting them until the day that he didn't. I mean, let's uh, talk about the uh, famous Saxgate uh, incident where him and Jonathan Ross are presenting a radio show on Radio 2. It turns out that Russell Brand had had a relationship with the actor Andrew Sachs, his granddaughter, you know, which was sexual. Uh, they thought it would be really funny to ring Andrew Sachs live on air and taunt him about the fact that Russell had had sex with his granddaughter. Now think about that for a second. I mean, these days... If you said, oh, that's what we're going to do, people would erupt. they go, what? And yet, uh, as an indication of where the entertainment industry had ended up, this was not really even thought about. The BBC was somewhat shocked. 
afterwards when uh, there was an absolute outcry, uh, the suggestion that maybe this wasn't the greatest thing to do. Uh, a, a guy in his dotage, a much-loved actor, gets phoned up live on air to be taunted by a guy who says, I had sex with your granddaughter. Think about that. Think about that and think about Russell Brand and the kind of person he must be. It is extraordinary that that was allowed back then, isn't it? Well, we had a similar story. I agree with you, and it would be unconscionable today. We had a similar story from an awards event where uh, Russell Brand was um, boasting on stage about having, um, ex you know, had a relationship with with Rod Stewart's daughter. And Rod Stewart happened to be the next person up, and he wasn't having it. He played Rod Stewart, who we know had an eye for the ladies back in the day, mm -hmm. um, was now a protective dad, and he'd had enough of that. And he said, "You shouldn't boast. You didn't. What did you do?" And Russell Brand, he sort of collapsed. His strings were cut, and he said, "Oh, I just took her out for the evening." And and Rod Stewart said, "Exactly." So enough of that. And you and he actually called him to account there and then, which was interesting. So clearly, this is the sort of person we're dealing with. And it has been very successful for him. He's made millions. I mean, he's I think it's what's quite interesting, Kevin. I don't know what your thoughts are, that he's kind of led um, a two chapter act. There are two acts in this story. We've had this um, this libertine, this um, I'm only out for women, free love in all its forms. I'm dangerous. I'm mischievous. I create chaos. I mean, it's like the Joker in Batman. And then from 2015, we've had this wellness guru ah. meditating, long haired, bearded, um, <laughs> linen shirted, wanting peace and love to all men and leading um, retreats and festivals. And, and we, I mean, he's married, he lives um, out in the country, he has two children, another one on the way, a wife, we've never heard a whiff of scandal for the last eight years or so. And he seems to have had a complete turnaround. But these are um, allegations from a previous time that have very much come back to bite him. Um, I mean, whether you, uh, whatever we we find out about the uh, the extent of the allegations and the veracity of them, there was clearly some, um, what would we call it? Um, Prince Andrew called it unbecoming, didn't he? I think we can go a bit further. Yeah, and I, say I think um, unbecoming is just the beginning of it. I mean, I think it's the beginning, yes. You, you, you uh, quite rightly alluded to his uh, stories of promiscuity. Now, he uh, frames that, he characterises him talking about having sex with women all the time as this kind of uh, refreshing, uh, attractive honesty. I was transparent about it and now they've uh, turned it into criminal charges or criminal allegations. Yeah. But uh, you could also characterise it as this. And this is you and I, well, I was certainly there uh, being bombarded by this guy. There was a period in television where you couldn't move for him. You could characterise his sex talk as just really juvenile sex boasting. Oh, I had that girl last night. Look at me. I've had lots and lots of sex. There's something quite pathetic about it, wasn't there? Yeah, I mean, it was parodied in The Inbetweeners, wasn't it, by one of the absolutely, the most immature of the teenagers was an equally boastful character, and they all laughed at him, as did we. But it seemed to work. I mean, I've witnessed um, women throwing themselves at him, I mean, inexplicably. I think it's... Uh, he's he's witty and charismatic. It's the question is, and people are allowed to be that, and we want those people on our screens. The big question is, to what extent did he abuse that? Because as we've discussed so many times, Kevin, with privilege, with position, with status, with power, comes responsibility. There is a tax to be paid on it. There is a burden, and you carry it. And uh, the, the big question will be whether he uh, carried it or whether he exploited it. Indeed. And uh, uh, also, uh, what's, what's happening now, Carol, as you well know, this transcends 
Rush, Russell Brand. Yes. This is yeah, yet absolutely. another story of TV being on trial. Savile, Schofield, Edwards, now this. Uh, now, uh, various executives from back there in the naughty days, the noughties, uh, who uh, were said to have witnessed Brand's behaviour and then turned a blind eye to it. Any young staff member who was upset by it, who complained, was told, you know, go away and think about your career. I mean, you and I know about it. This rings true, that in those days, uh, the television executives from the terrestrial and independent production companies did turn a blind eye to appalling behaviour by stars because they were the stars. Yeah, there is there is a reckoning is long overdue uh, in the wider culture. I think Me Too has made a significant shift. We've seen that in terms of arguments about pay, about treatment of younger, often female members of staff. Anybody feeling vulnerable um, has uh, ways of voicing that and, and reaching out for support. There have been shifts, but my goodness, it, it needed it. It absolutely, that's recognition of how, what a bad corrupt state it was in. What is, they're all, they're all paid too much. They're treated like VIP royal dignitaries from overseas or from an alien planet. There's this what? great exceptionalism. The rules do not apply. You know, oh, that's just the way he strokes she is. Well, why? Why is that permissible? Just because, I mean, you've got people earning 10 times the amount of money as the minions running around, getting them coffee, making sure that everything is comfortable so that they, what, bring us a better version of a, of a chat show or a, or a quiz show. It's, it's, it doesn't warrant it. And I think they need to really have a good look at themselves. I mean, it continues. I think start, start paying them a, a proper salary mm. for a proper job and stop making people feel not just special, but entitled and arrogant. Uh, and I think uh, Big Brother is coming back. It was always a rancid programme. It's about exploitation. They're bringing it back. And, you know, I don't want to get sort of too moralistic and Tunbridge Wells about this, but <laughs> do we need, really need a programme called Naked Attraction? Uh, in which people are supposed to have relationships without their clothes on? Do we need Married at First Sight? Do we need all these prurient programmes? You know, they're still making these sordid little shows just to get numbers, uh, and they don't even get the numbers anymore. At least Big Brother used to get a decent audience. Uh, so they have to think about that. Uh, as I keep saying, Caroline, what was Big Brother? Here's the format. It's get not particularly brilliant working class kids into a house, get them drunk, watch them misbehave, and if it's really, really funny, maybe they'll have sex. That's the format. And if you think that's a healthy environment, <laughs> uh, then you uh, might not understand why Russell Brand thrived in it, if you there take my point. Good to talk to you, Caroline, as always. Caroline Frost, entertainment journalist there. Uh, now, uh, breaking news, breaking news. Now, if you read all the stories over the weekend or you watched uh, Dispatches on Channel 4, Fair play to Channel 4. It is doing a programme about itself, to be fair. Uh, uh, one of uh, Russell Brand's accusers, that's Alice, the one who was called Alice. I don't think that's her real name. She was only 16. She was a schoolgirl. Uh, he allegedly used to send BBC cars to pick her up from school to bring her round to uh, his place. Now, she has gone on to uh, Radio 4's Woman's Hour today. Uh, to announce uh, that uh, this uh, abusive relationship, she said the, the, she alleges the relationship was entirely abusive, uh, that uh, it left her feeling cheap and dirtied, 
And uh, at one point, uh, of course, uh, he forced himself, uh, is alleged to have forced his himself upon, upon her. Uh, he denies these allegations. Uh, yeah, Alice says a BBC car was used to take her from school at the age of 16 to Russell Brand's house. Uh, she's, uh, the BBC has said it uh, is urgently looking into the issues raised. That's not issues. These are absolute fact uh, um, incidents uh, allegedly that they need to look into uh, she asked she was asked Alice what she would want from the BBC and she said she'd like to know why more was not done at the time of their relationship in 2006 she says he had a very well-known record of doing things that were inappropriate on air he had inappropriate conversations. Uh, she says she doesn't think Brown was being held to the same standards as other BBC presenters and newsreaders. Uh, she says uh, there were exceptions and allowances made for him and we need to ask ourselves why. I would suggest it wasn't just Russell Brand. There were other presenters who were having a whale of a time while executives turned their backs and were not interested in the welfare of younger employees or... More to the point, the contestants on those shows, those shows, Big Brother didn't half exploit people. It really, really did. And that, that's why it's so inspirational that they're bringing it back. Maybe ITV, who are bringing it back, want to think about this in the light of what's coming out right now. It was not a healthy programme. It was a nasty programme. It was exploitative. It exploited the people on it. And we're now learning it exploited some of the younger employees who worked on it, whose complaints to bosses were summarily ignored. The bosses say, you want to think about your career before you start making these complaints. He's the star of the show. Well, those people who did that uh, are having a very uncomfortable time right now uh, because uh, this is historical. And I suspect that fairly soon the police have already talked to the Times, Sunday Times and dispatches. Uh, they're already saying, could we have more people coming forward? And more people are coming forward. So very, very soon, I think, uh, there will be a full-scale police investigation. Uh, so this story is escalating by the moment. When we come back, we're talking about uh, Net Zero Green uh, with uh, Head of Policy at Net Zero Watch, Harry Wilkinson. That next time, Kevin O'Sullivan. This is Talk TV, live from the Talk Radio studios. See it, hear it, think it. Talk radio and talk TV. Uh, welcome back. We'll be going up, uh, back up to uh, the story of Russell Brand after the 12 o'clock news. Uh, more to talk about there. There may be uh, a parliamentary inquiry into the television industry. Uh, you know, I don't necessarily think inquiries ever get us anywhere. They just cost us a lot of money. But something needs to be done about what was going on in the television industry back in the noughties. Because it wasn't just... Russell Brand, allegedly. It was uh, other people as well. There were all sorts of things going on. And uh, as Caroline Frost just said, it was a bit like cowboy country. Anything goes, anything went. And uh, the executives did nothing about it. Didn't care about the uh, contestants. Didn't care about junior staff. As long as big stars like Russell Brand were happy. Uh, so uh, lots to talk about after the news. But first, uh, let's go back to uh, the net zero carbon net zero green issues the claptrap if you like uh, and uh, there's a suggestion that uh, slowly but surely uh, it is dawning on the prime minister 
that all these green policies that he thinks are so popular aren't popular. So nobody wants policies that are going to make you colder and poorer, which is basically what net zero amounts to. Among the tenets of these policies were that we're fairly soon all going to have to get rid of our very efficient gas boilers and repeat and uh, replace them with very inefficient uh, heat pumps. And uh, people don't want to do it. And Rishi may just have got his ticket to the party. He might have just worked out that maybe that's not a vote winner. Let's talk to head of policy at Net Zero Watch, Harry Wilkinson. Good morning, Harry. Morning, Kevin. Uh, yes, so uh, there may be a sign of light at the end of the tunnel. The Tories are considering getting rid of uh, the proposed ban on gas boilers. That would certainly be wildly popular, but it kind of makes you think, well, why did they suggest it in the first place? This is an intriguing story. I think um, ever since the by-election uh, that we had in Boris Johnson's former constituency, we've seen the narrative changed. There's a recognition from the government that actually by showing a different perspective to Labour on green issues, they can actually be very popular. And so you have to wonder whether the government's been briefing the Daily Mail with this story. Are they preparing to drop the gas boiler ban? That would certainly be very welcome. You know, heat pumps uh, are not going to work for some houses, they will be much better in other houses. They can work very efficiently and very well if they're done right. Our problem has always been forcing this technology on people, forcing huge costs potentially on people who can't afford it. And so the ban on gas boilers was really going to leave many people vulnerable to uh, having this technology foisted upon them. And that's not what we want to see. We want to see competition uh, drive consumer choice and people maybe choosing to have heat pumps, and people who don't want to have them shouldn't have to install them. Yeah, so, so to get rid of the ban, that would be a, certainly a very positive step. Yeah, it's our houses, and uh, we should be able to do what we like with them. Uh, and there's even talk, well, not talk, if you look at the energy bill, uh, in that bill uh, is the prospect, the grim prospect, of us being fined if we don't uh, go along with what we're supposed to do to save the environment. If you don't get rid of your gas boiler, it's a £15,000 fine uh, and possibly even prison. For business owners, it's even worse. So we seem to be moving into an extremely sort of draconian phase in all of this, uh, whereupon not going along with climate change uh, is going to be a criminal offence. That's not acceptable. Let me ask you also, Harry, now we're talking. Uh, Sadiq Khan has already flown off, jetted off to New York to take part in the UN's conference on climate change. Prince William will be jetting over to New York later on. How much more of this rank hypocrisy are we supposed to put up with? You've got to save the planet, everybody. You know, you, you can't drive a petrol car and you mustn't go on holiday. I'm just off to New York to talk about climate change. Why are we supposed to put up with these people getting onto uh, climate-ruining jets to save the climate? The hypocrisy, as you say, is staggering. Now, these people don't seem to see any disconnect between the lifestyles they lead and the kinds of things that they don't want ordinary people to have. They don't want ordinary people to fly. They don't want them to be able to afford to buy a car. You know, what we've seen with the... Uh, potential ban on petrol and diesel vehicles is actually the head of BMW say he's worried that Europe just won't have a market 
for ordinary cars, cheap cars uh, anymore. And that's all as a result of this forced push to EVs. So while the elites swans off to these conferences, they're plotting to take away many of the luxuries uh, that they enjoy for, from other people. And we just would wish that there's much more recognition, there's some humility, there's some acknowledgement of the consequences. And all the time we hear scary warnings about just how damaging climate change is going to be. And that's all to distract from the fact that actually the policies that they're planning on implementing are going to be much more damaging. for all They are, Harry. Uh, really good to talk to you. Harry Wilkinson there. This is Talk TV live from the Talk Radio studios. Online on DAB Plus, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back. Uh, this is the final hour of my mid-morning spectacular. This is the afternoon bit of the show, I suppose. Uh, I am standing in for the great Mike Graham. I have the keys to the independent republic. Uh, but this, of course, is only the dependent vassal state of Kevin O'Sullivan. Uh, it's Mike Graham's world. We just live in it. Um, now, uh, coming up this hour... Uh, we're going to go back to the Russell Brand story in just a little while, talk about the legal side of all of that. Uh, and then later in the hour, we'll be talking about uh, Prince of Wales, Prince William, who, ahead of his uh, all-important green trip to New York, don't ruin the environment just to go to talk to the UN about climate change. Prince, you know, that's ridiculous. You're destroying the planet on a jet. Why are you going? Sadiq Khan's already there to talk about climate change, which he's wrecking by getting on a plane. Not enough of this hypocrisy. If you must have a conference, do it by Zoom or something. Unbelievable. Uh, so uh, he, uh, Prince of Wales, wants a chief executive to run his operation at the Kensington Palace. A sort of revolution in the way that uh, things are organised down there, royal-wise. And uh, also, talking of that um, hypocrisy that annoys me so much, the king himself has faced criticism after he's up at uh, Dumbrees, uh, one of his many homes, and uh, he invited four ministers from the government to see him. And, of course, they had to fly 400 miles to see the king. Uh, about carbon emissions. I mean, what you got to see the king about carbon emissions? What's he got to do with it? I mean, him and William banging on about green issues. If they're allowed to do it, then fine. Don't tell me you're politically neutral if you're going to hit us over the head with your carbon net zero stick. Uh, so uh, why is the king forcing four ministers to fly to Scotland to discuss with him carbon emissions? The king has got nothing to do with carbon emissions. Uh, why is Prince William flying to New York to talk about carbon net zero and green issues? He's not a politician. He's the Prince of Wales. What's he doing there? This is politics. He shouldn't be involved. Uh, now, before we get to that, though, and we're taking your calls, by the way, later in the hour. 0344-499-1000. A lot of people rung in about brand. Other people want to know about Keir Starmer. What's he up to? What's he doing in Paris tomorrow, cozying up to uh, Macron? What was he doing in The Hague last week? Are we in the process of rejoining the EU? I think we are in all but name. And that guy, Starmer, I mean, there'd be no point in being outside the EU when he's prime minister because in all but name, we'll be in the EU. So uh, vote Starmer, vote Remain. 0344 499 uh, Call us. Uh, and the NHS. Uh, 244 more diversity jobs. Tens of millions of pounds worth of wages. Come on. Come on. 
Stop taking us for fools. 0344-499-1000. Now let's return to the Russell Brand issue. He is, of course, accused, uh, was accused in the papers and uh, on the Dispatches programme on Channel 4 over the weekend of uh, sexually assaulting and raping four women. He denies these charges uh, vehemently. Uh, but uh, it has opened a whole can of worms in the television industry where people covering up for him. He's, he's, he's denying criminal activity, but he always accepted he was very promiscuous. One of the uh, women involved uh, says she was 16 at the time. They're calling her Alice. And he used to send a BBC car to pick her up uh, at her school and then bring her around to her place. Uh, the BBC won't be very happy about that. So Channel 4, BBC investigating the police on the cusp of an, excuse me, an investigation. They'll have to, I think, open a full criminal investigation. These are serious charges. Uh, <coughs> let's talk to um, public law barrister Francis Hoare. Hello, Francis. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. Uh, now, uh, we do have to stress that at this stage... Uh, these are allegations and accusations unproved that uh, Russell Brand strenuously denies. And I'd like to ask you about that first. Now, I don't I'm not an apologist for Russell Brand, uh, you know, criminal or not. Some of his behavior in those dark days was not good. He was not a great person around women, whether or not it was consensual or not. In fact, he was a juvenile boaster about sex. Oh, I've had lots of sex. Oh, well done. Uh, so it was all a bit sordid and tacky, to be honest with you. So I'm not an apologist for him. But what I'd like to ask you, we do seem to now be in that territory that's becoming all too familiar, which is people sort of ruined, cancelled, uh, purely on the basis of accusations that are unproved. Uh, that's the situation right now. This guy is almost being treated by uh, as a convicted criminal. He's not, and these are purely accusations. The age of the accusation is a worry, isn't it? Well, the age might be a worry, and that's uh, really a matter for either a trial judge or a jury, depending on how this case uh continues now there's two possible ways or perhaps three in which this could end up in the courts one of course is if there was a criminal prosecution another is if any of the victims took their own legal action against mr brand and if it is mr brand um, sued the sunday times and or channel four uh for these allegations in libel um now i i suppose in respect of the newspapers we have the freedom of the press, which has been guaranteed in law in this country since the late 17th century, and it is fundamental to our way of life and our democracy. But it obviously comes with certain negative possibilities. And one of them is that newspapers can and the press and, and, the, and the TV uh, broadcasting media can um, it let these allegations turn into what is called a trial by media. And we do have libel laws, um, and that's one way of controlling them. We also have very strict rules about contempt of court, which are very important. I think one thing for the 
media to remember about this is quite apart from the importance, the other cardinal importance of the presumption of innocence, which applies both in the civil and in the criminal courts, but in the criminal courts with an enhanced standard of proof beyond reasonable doubt, what's now called a jury being sure. Um, uh, quite apart from that, if this continues in the way it is, there is a risk that Mr. Brand's lawyers, if he is charged, will say that he is unable to have a fair trial because of the level of the exposure that he has had both in the um, broadcast and the print media. And that's something that the media really need to be aware of and concerned about, because that could, if um, there is a prosecution, um, and if the CPS, as a result, decides there's a reasonable case for him to answer, that could prevent his complainants from having their opportunity to put forward their case and the state, of course, to put forward its case that he is guilty of these offences and for a jury to decide about it. Um, so, so that's a concern, a particular concern, I think, in, in, in respect of trial by media, which can't really be controlled, save in the libel courts or save if he is actually charged with an offence when the stricter contempt laws come in. Um, but but all the media outlets should be aware of that and concerned about it. Yeah, interesting. Now, uh, let me, just before you go, uh, Francis, let me ask you a sort of uh, general question about the difficulty of sexual cases, rape and sexual assault, because invariably they always end up he said, she said. So the reason there's such a bad conviction rate for rape is that it's pretty damned easy for a defence attorney to say, you know, my client says this happened and you, why would you believe her against him necessarily? You must admit there's a scintilla of doubt here and all right-thinking juries have to go, well, yeah, there is. It's just one story against another. So that's why it's difficult to prove rape. Now, in Russell Brand's case, uh, if there is a criminal case, it will revolve around this, that these four women say they were either sexually assaulted or raped by him. He insists it was consensual. So you will end up in one of those difficult situations if it goes to court where a, any lawyer representing Brand will be able to say, look, you know, he's got one story, they've got another. Why would you believe one over the other? I mean, that, that, that is the problem with sexual cases, isn't it? It's not just the problem with sexual cases. It, it is the inevitable consequence of having a system that is skewed, at least in the court, in favour of the defendant because of the fundamental importance constitutionally uh, of the presumption of innocence and the fact that if the state is using its entire resources against an individual, that person needs to have the benefit of requiring the state to prove it to a very high standard, that of being <laughs> reasonable doubt. Um, and it is often the case that you will have allegations that ultimately rely on people believing or disbelieving one or two witnesses. We don't have a law of corroboration in England and Wales. They do in Scotland, but we don't here. And um, that's a very important point, and, and, and it's a very important protection. Um, but in fact, juries are well able to make these decisions, and there are all sorts of elements of evidence that goes beyond just, oh, it's his word against her word. There's all sorts of reasons why juries will be able to, or will be guided by the judge and counsel to reject or accept as they consider appropriate in their collective wisdom, particular types of evidence, what people have said on different occasions, what they have done, what they've said in text messages and so on, goes far beyond the need for, say, physical evidence, or um, it was obviously much easier 
to and much more binary if if there is an allegation and somebody denies the fact that they've ever had sexual relations and then suddenly they find evidence that they did that's a that's going to be a much easier case for juries to 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 decide upon but obviously most cases aren't like that they do rely on um evidence of um, <laughs> of, of of two individuals uh, and that's but that's an inevitability in his case of course there's also the possibility that there will be a conjoined trial of um, independent allegations, supposedly by people who have not known about the allegations made by others. And that may or may not um, be a trial that will happen because his lawyers may say he needs to be tried separately. Um, these discussions, of course, are only happening because he hasn't been charged yet. Because we'll yeah. be got to stress that. Yes, yeah, he hasn't been charged and he's denying these allegations. But as you say, Francis, uh, there may be a rocky legal road ahead for him and for the police. The police haven't officially announced they're going to investigate, but I suspect they will soon. Thank you so much for your time. That was public law barrister Francis Hoare. A few developments. All the various production companies uh, who were involved in the making of Russell Brand's programmes like Big Brother's Big Mouth and all that uh, are issuing statements. Uh, Channel 4 said... Uh, it had asked the production company who produced the programmes for Channel 4, that's programmes like Big Brother's Big Mouse, that would end them all, they produced um, Big Brother. Uh, they've asked the independent production company who produced these programmes to investigate these allegations and report their findings properly and satisfactorily to us, that's Channel 4. Broadcaster added... It was also conducting its own investigation and encouraged anyone, this is in quotes, who is aware of such behaviour to, <coughs> to contact us directly. Statement added, we will be writing to all our current suppliers, reminding them of their responsibilities under our code of com conduct. bit of a concern and worry, I think, at Channel 4 today. Spokesman for the BBC, where he also worked, of course said uh, it had uh, clear expectations and policies around conduct at work and had taken the uh, Jonathan Ross Radio 2 incident incredibly seriously. So incredibly seriously, they didn't sack Jonathan Ross, but they did sack Russell Brand. Make of that what you will. Uh, the spokesman for the BBC, uh, who, of course, took it incredibly seriously. Uh, do you remember, this was when, of course, they ran the actor, uh, Andrew Saxon, taunted him about Russell having slept with his uh, granddaughter. Isn't that special? Uh, only one of them got sacked for that. Why? Why not both of them? Anyway, uh, the BBC said, we hope... Uh, this is uh, talking about the Jonathan Ross in incident. We hope that demonstrates that the BBC takes issues seriously. So seriously they don't sack people for them. Uh, and is prepared to act. Well, you didn't. Uh, indeed, we would add that in addition to acting on the serious editorial breach at the time, the BBC has, over successive years, evolved its approach to how it manages talent and indeed how it deals with complaints or issues raised. We always listen to people if they come forward with any concerns on any issue related to any individual working at the BBC past or present. So I think it's probably fair to say the TV industry has raised its game a little bit in the past decade or so and is perhaps not quite as... Uh, rancid as it used to be uh, although you still get the Schofields and the Hugh Edwards it doesn't seem to be that great does it uh, Ban Banerjee uh, who uh, bought Endemol uh, so this is now the company behind Big Brother Banerjee they're called uh, their statement was 
In the light of the very serious allegations raised by dispatches and the Times and the Sunday Times investigation related to the alleged serious misconduct of Russell Brand while presenting shows produced by Endemol in 2004 and 2005, Banijay UK has launched an urgent investigation, internal investigation, and will cooperate with any requests for information from broadcaster partners and external agencies. We also encourage anybody who feels that they were affected by Brand's behaviour while working on these productions to contact us in confidence. Uh, I mean, some a lot of TV executives in those days, great people. Some of them, not so great. Uh, so there is a slight sort of element of locking the gate after the horse has bolted to all of this. Uh, but uh, this is uh, a developing and escalating story. And we're hearing that more women are coming forward. The police are on the cusp of an investigation, an official investigation, which, as we just heard, could end up in court. So uh, uh, lots still to come, lots still to develop on this ongoing story. Next up, we'll be talking to Charlie Ray, former royal editor of The Sun, about the latest developments on the royal front. Prince William wants a chief executive to run his operation. Very businesslike, isn't it? Uh, that next, I'm Kevin O'Sullivan. This is Talk TV, live from the Talk Radio studios. On your mobile, on your wavelength, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back. Uh, now, uh, it is time to talk royal matters. Don't forget, get your calls in. What do you think about Russell Brand? Uh, not so much about him. Well, him maybe. But we have to be careful. He's denied all allegations of wrongdoing, of breaking the law. Says all of his sexploits were consensual. Uh, but uh, what do you make of the TV industry back then? What do you make of the allegation that he was using a BBC car to pick up his 16-year-old girlfriend from school and bring her around to his house? Uh, you know, I'm reminded of Philip Schofield's uh, phrase, um, uh, unwise but not illegal. Uh, let me know what you think about Russell Brand. Also, Keir Starmer, is he taking us back into Europe? Why does he think that we want to go back and we want closer and closer ties. I'm bemused as to why he thinks that's a vote winner. And uh, a little later on, uh, well, I'm going to ask uh, my next guest this. Uh, what the hell is Prince William doing flying to New York to take part in a United Nations conference on climate change? That's political. What's he doing there? Uh, uh, also, his dad's just as bad, a green crazy. They should butt out of green policies because it's nothing to do with them. Uh, now, let's uh, talk about the royal family. Let's talk to former royal editor of The Sun, Charlie Ray. Hi, Charlie. Hello, Missy. Uh, first of all, uh, I think we've got some uh, footage of Thomas Markle, Meghan's dad, talking to Good Morning Britain this morning. Take it away, Tom. I'm open to it at any time, but I, I don't see it coming. What do you think stops the brothers being able to meet this week? He's not open to uh, peaceful solutions, I don't, I don't think. And I don't think Megan is either, so uh, unless they're both on board, it's not, nothing's going to happen. Well, Charlie, uh, this is uh, Thomas Markle, obviously. He lives in uh, Mexico, uh, talking directly to Good Morning Britain there by the magic of Zoom or camera, whatever it is. He's not over here. But once again, and we've heard this from him many times, he's begging Meghan, and for that matter, Harry, who he's never met, he's never met his son-in-law, 
Uh, he's begging them to let him see his grandchildren. And he points out quite rightly that in California, if he wanted to, he could legally sue them to be allowed to see his own grandchildren. Mm. But he's not going to go down that route. But, you know, is there any prospect that Meghan will accede to his request? Will she ever let him see his grandchildren? Well, in the short term, Kevin, I, I, I don't think there is uh, any chance of him being allowed to see his grandchildren, which is a great, great pity. Now, this is a man who's already suffered. He's got serious health problems. He's yeah, you can suffered. hear him. He's got a stroke. Yeah, he's, yeah. Had, a he's, stroke, he's, had, a, he? he's had a stroke and he's very concerned because his doctors, apparently, from what I can gather, have told him that he could have a, another stroke. Um and he is pleading with Meghan, especially Meghan and Harry, to see his grandchildren. And let's not forget, our king has only met Lilibet once. So, you know, he's in this, in effect in the same boat. He hasn't seen the kids since they moved over uh, to, uh, to, to the US, apart from the, um, the, the Jubilee. Um, but, I mean, poor old Thomas Markle. I mean, he makes the point, you know, I haven't seen Meghan for five years. People who get prison sentences for five years usually come out and they're rehabilitated. But where's my rehabilitation? I didn't. I haven't done anything wrong. And he's absolutely right. And it's still a mystery as to why Megan, especially, is has cut him off. And again, it always stuns me, as it, I know it does you, the fact that he's never actually met his son-in-law. And there's only spoken to, to the best of my uh, to best of my recollection twice on the telephone. Yeah, and uh, in effect, what this adds up to is, uh, you know, he's the heir to the throne and fifth in line or whatever he is. Okay, he's never going to get the gig, but uh, he's an important person in the royal yeah. firmament, and he has this really, really weird marriage that excludes all of Meghan's side of the. Uh, picture, all uh, you know, and that <laughs> that that is that's strange, and I, uh, you know, you don't, you don't really don't, want a member of the royal family to have a weirdo marriage, do you? It, it, it also excludes most of Harry's side of the family. Well, that... well to, to be, to, to be fair, <laughs> they're not I seeing mean, anyone. Those kids, <laughs> <laughs> these two have set up a, a situation where, and I don't want anybody just get them out of the way. You know, we're 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 on our own. Um, it is a great great pity, uh, you know, for poor old Thomas. I mean, let's not forget. You know, the king here is, what, 3,000, 6,000 miles away from uh, California. He's only 70 miles away. It's not It's okay. not rocket science for them to just zoom down there uh, in their cortege, uh, their powerful cortege uh, at all. Um, and, they, and they wouldn't be causing any environmental problems either. Uh, so I, I feel for Thomas Markle. I really do feel for Thomas yeah. Markle. Yeah, he made a few mistakes. Uh, yeah. Sort of got inveigled in by a paparazzi into doing some very silly pictures. But, you know, he shouldn't be uh, vilified for that. He doesn't understand the media. People turn up with thousands of dollars a in their hand on his door. He made some mistakes. I think uh, she should forgive him and let him, see, let him see his damn grandchildren. What is yeah. the matter with that woman? Let's talk about uh, Prince William. First of all, uh, Harry, interest, uh, Harry, I'm Charles, called you Harry. Yeah, Charles, <laughs> King Charles, King Charles Ray here. Um, uh, Charlie, uh, he, he's bringing in, a, he wants to sort of modernize his operation at Kensington yeah. Palace. 
and he wants to bring in a chief executive in a business sort of style. I don't know if he quite understands what a chief executive is. Chief executives no, are answer to shareholders. Uh, but but well, interesting that he doesn't uh, he doesn't find the way the royal family operates now satisfactory, modern enough. No, you're absolutely right. He he is breaking the mold because you've got too many men that his mother and he and Harry as well have criticised the grey men in the grey suits who seem to be running things in the background. Now, he wants a chief executive, whether it's a man or a woman, to come in, grab hold of the reins and take control, and he would be over the private secretaries. And this is quite a departure, and it's certainly on the basis of the future for the royal family as well. You know, there's always a saying at the uh, at Buckingham Palace, it's a bit of an internal joke, that the, the, the background people at the palace still operate using Windows 1066. <laughs> and, and it's very much like that. Now, he and Catherine want someone in there who can run the operation properly. We're not talking about shareholders or anything like that, but they want the operation run properly. They want to get it out of the hands of these backroom people who, in effect, interfere more than they do than, than they don't in, in the running of the royal family. Absolutely. Last uh, question, uh, Charlie. Uh, um, at the weekend, or towards the end of last week, four government ministers flew to Scotland to see Charles in Dumfries' house uh, to discuss climate change. Uh, and uh, Prince William later this week and uh, the next couple of days will fly to New York to take part in the United Nations Conference on Climate Change. I thought members of the royal family were supposed to stick out of politics. If you want to go there blanging on about climate change and saving the planet, that is political. And I think Charlie and William have got to work this out. This is not acceptable. I, I think particularly the King has scored an own goal here with this visit by these four people. Because I've had a look round to fi actually find out what actually happened at this so-called meeting. And from what I can gather, these four people flew up there, did nothing and flew back again. And he wanted them up there on the Friday because Charles was having a party at Dumfries House yeah. to mark the 50th anniversary of, of, the, of the sale of it. And then the next day... He takes a plane down to Doncaster to watch the GGs, which his horse didn't didn't perform terribly, and goes back again. Now you cannot keep saying to people you've got to lower your carbon footprint and everything else, yeah. but it's okay for me to hire yeah. private jets and not not even hire, but get private jets and bring people up. For do no do as I say, not what do I, I do. Say, and that like, hypocrisy is, is not. William is slightly different. He's in the US at the moment. He's there in the, for his Earthshot Prize, which is, you know, um, encouraging people to come up with schemes that will help the planet. Yeah, I I'll tell you what will help. The, I'll tell you what will help the planet, Charlie. Is is Prince William not flying to New York <laughs> to save the planet? How about that? No, no, no. You're absolutely right. I can't argue with you. Why not just do it on Zoom? It's exactly. why do you have to be at the UN? You know to to look in at the, what's what's going on. I mean, they've got this great, crazy thing in their minds about the green planet and everything else, but it's it's it does them wrong. It's hypocrisy. It's hypocrisy, and we're not going to put hypocrisy. up with it anymore. You want to save the planet? You stay here and don't get onto jets and fly over to New York to say let's save the planet. Well, you just help destroy it. Charlie, great to talk to you. That's Charlie Ray, uh, former royal editor for The Sun. And uh, I think we're going to do that World of Woke uh, sort of sting thing now. Uh, let's do it, shall we? The World of Woke.
Yes, indeed. Welcome to the world of Woke, uh, Mike's regular feature. I'll have a crack at it myself. Uh, it does, of course, this week's edition concerns the NHS creating hundreds of new diversity and inclusion jobs. Uh, uh, critics saying the organisations uh, should maybe focus on treating the sick and curing people in hospitals. Maybe they could do that. Instead, they're creating... 244 new posts, uh, all of which will be diversity and inclusivity. Uh, we hear that the Health Secretary, Steve Barclay, is frustrated with this because he told the NHS to get on with making people better, treating them for being sick, hopefully preventing them from dying, rather than obsessing on wokery, on nonsense, all these jobs. I'm not saying that the odd diversity and inclusivity job wouldn't be a good idea in a massive organisation like the uh, NHS. But they've got hundreds, they've got loads of them already, probably hundreds. And now they're going to add 244 more. There are 3,500 people, not doctors, not nurses, not ambulance drivers, who work in the NHS as middle managers who earn more than £100,000 a year. Uh, so the NHS does not need any more money. 200 billion quid a year is quite sufficient. Thank you very much. They've just got to stop spending it like an insane drunken sailor on nonsense that doesn't do anything for healthcare. I'm talking about diversity and inclusivity. Uh, the NHS's obsession with wokery, won't use the word mother, hates the word woman, is becoming a joke, a national joke, and it's time that we prescribe the NHS an end to this idiot wokery right now. So that is the world of woke. Uh, your calls when we come back. 0344 499 1000. I'm Kevin O'Sullivan. I'm furious. And this is Talk TV, live from the Talk Radio studios. The world of woke. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. 